0: Hey, Dan Talks listeners, welcome to another episode of Dan Talks. This week, I'm talking to Lisa Luca, who is the author of Ashes to Ink, a memoir. Lisa is also the host of Live True with Lisa Luca, which is a public radio show in New Mexico. Lisa was generous enough to send me a copy of her memoir, Ashes to Ink, and I was able to read it before our interview. It's about a lot of things. Uh, most sort of saliently or sort of at the center of this memoir is her relationship with her father who came out as gay um, when she was a teenager and it also details sort of how that experience expressed itself in her relationships with men for her entire um, young adult life Um, There's a really satisfying sort of ending to the memoir, and I encourage you all to purchase it yourselves. The link is in the episode description. Uh, But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the remarkable, insightful, the lovely Lisa Luca. Okay, Lisa, I finished your book this morning, the last chapter. Um, I feel like I've been on your whole life with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ashes to Ink, all about your, well, it's very much your journey, but sort of the center um, story is about your father who came out later in life and the sort Mm -hmm. of impact that that had on your relationships with men throughout your life. And the book really lovingly ends um, with you scattering his ashes, leaving some in the... um, what do you call that? The Inkwell. The Inkwell. Um, and you're with Mark, who is the first man that you met when you moved to California when you were 21. One. Um, so really sort of, well, well it ends after your um, eulogy at your father's funeral, which was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> um, every time I read you... Um, well, first of all, I want to say one of the reasons when I came out at twenty was I didn't want to come out to my children because I was with a lovely young woman at the time, and we were together for a year plus, and I could see a future with her. But I thought to myself, I don't want to come out to my children. Oh wow! Um, but obviously, this is the thing that happened. So I would like to know um, for the listeners what that was like for you. I know, but.
1: Well, here here's the thing. You're a lot younger, <laughs> and you know when my father was 20, um, you know it was 1959. Uh, you know my parents were uh, middle class Chicago suburbs, and my mom and dad were best friends in high school, and they really really loved each other, and I think that there didn't feel like a choice for my dad to. Um, to, to to have the life that he thought maybe would be what he would wanted. I don't even know that he admitted it to himself that that could be a life back then. It was even called a lifestyle as if it was a choice. So you know, when my, when my parents got married and had my sister and I, I'm the oldest, you know, they had that idyllic suburban life all through the sixties. And by the time the seventies rolled around, things had shifted and, um, you know, LGBTQ, which was just homosexuality at the time was, was something that was, you know, on the coasts, sort of on the fringe. And, and my father, fell in love and uh, decided that he was going to take the risk of coming out and uh, having the life that he believed was what he uh, was born to live in. And at the time it was shocking and shattering because my parents got along so well. I had the happiest parents of all my friends Because, you know, they hung out and they did things together and he cooked and they watched TV programs and there was no friction in the house. So it was that much harder for us when they got divorced. Mm -hmm. And then when he came out, it was just shocking because, you know, the only thing I ever heard about gay people was what Archie Bunker said, which was not good. It was bad. And so if it was bad, then dad must be bad.
0: Yeah. You write really honestly about the basically internalized homophobia that you had because it was such a sort of demonized thing.
1: hmm. Yeah. It, it was in the Midwest in the early 70s. You didn't talk about sex with the kids at all, let alone sexuality and and that the word sex was in the middle of homosexual anything about dad went straight to his sexuality. You know, it wasn't anything about love. You know what I mean? It was really so tied to he's having sex with this young guy. And Oh my God, you know, and of course I didn't want to think about my parents having sex at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were young, they were only 35 when they got divorced. And so, you know, he was a, a, a young hot guy being himself for the first time ever. And, I was his thirteen-year-old daughter, just freaking out.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, th- what's so interesting for me is that there's the piece of your dad that I sympathize with deeply: being mm-hmm. a gay person and understanding that you know the secret you keep or the the truth that you know but can't say, and then mm-hmm. wanting to really claim your life once you proclaim it. On the other side, he did have narcissistic tendencies, which you yes. detail, <laughs> and also like followed you to San Francisco. He didn't follow you, but you moved to San Francisco mere months or a few years later, he moves to San Francisco.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Less than two years.
0: Less than two years and lives a gay life in San Francisco and has brunch with you and tells you about his gay life. So there's a bit of the pendulum sort of swings from suburban we don't talk about anything to listen to my story about the guy from well, listen side. to
1: this yeah exactly exactly and you know you really put that well because it it was such a, a pendulum swing you know from from where we came from to where we both landed and i i came to have a deeper appreciation and acceptance if you will of of gay men that I worked with and I knew as friends. And I got to know my dad through the, the culture of San Francisco, which I think was was healthy in retrospect. But at the time, it was so hard. And, and he, he fell in love in a weekend and moved in with this guy. So it was really hard because it was one of those life choices that if I had made it or my sister probably would have gotten a pushback from my dad.
0: Right, and in the meantime, he's like built this great career, and he left it all behind to move in with um, Joe Schmo. I forget was this. Forget the names. <laughs> There's a few different. Men there were so you and your dad. <laughs> you know, me <laughs> on the stoop with yes, a cigarette.
1: Robert. Yes. Yeah,
0: but um, I can see how it was so sort of disorienting. and Kind of like like he's breaking his own rules.
1: Right. Right. All the rules he gave us, which were very very strict, and they were be informed you know he was he was an incredibly smart man so it was all about um you know you do your homework and you research and you you make really thoughtful choices and this did not seem like any of that and and then you know I was old enough then in my early 20s to be able to look at my mother and think wow you know her sexuality was so i don't know really compromised you know she was a good nice Catholic girl at 19 when she married him, you know, and it was not an easy time for her, you know, when he came out and yet they remained friends for a lifetime.
0: That the line about um, when you found out that your mom's, uh, I guess, boyfriend stayed the night when you were away because you came home <laughs> early and you said that her guilt <laughs> on the phone wafted like an Italian Catholic lasagna. Oh. <gasps> I was like that. It, the book is full of great metaphors. Oh, everything. thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to. I want to backtrack to the men thing because what's so interesting and so often with family conflict, I find this: there, you you and your dad were so sort of similar in terms of your partnerships with, not so the form was different, but it's sort of the motivations and the sort of seeking were so the same. It's like. Uh, this next guy is it you know yep and each guy that came that it was like the same Taylor Swift song you know equivalent of the Taylor (laughs) Swift song (laughs) or the movie and it was like I could give it all up for this one
1: absolutely every single time
0: (laughs) they were all the one right and but the way you detail it I'm like oh maybe this is like each time I think oh maybe this guy is it and then you tell like two months in, then this happened. I go, Oh no, it's another one.
1: Maybe this time, (laughs) which my, my father, I think actually sang at the piano bar, but I mean that, but that's exactly how it was. And so it took a lot of reflection to, to see how, I, I was railing against the very thing I was doing. And isn't that true? Often, you know, that we do that, that we, we are turned off most by the very thing in ourselves that needs healing, you know, and, and that was, that was my thing. And I had a mother who was, so not interested in romance. You know, she had a couple boyfriends over the years for a long time. They go out on a Saturday night, but she had no interest in in sharing a life with anyone. And I think in part because I don't think she really wanted a husband Who was like a straight guy, you know, she wouldn't have known what to do with that. You know, she was used to Ron, who was neat and tidy and 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 had coffee made in the morning. You know, I mean, it was a very different marriage for her than what it would have been with, you know, some sports freak or some guy who was really, you know, into male activities.
0: Yeah, before we get to your um, reflection moment, which happens like an appropriate time in the book, you know, or like maybe two thirds, three quarters of the way through. And then we have the turn, three quarters, I would say. Um, You had this really cool career. You moved to California to work in the music industry. Long story short, you get this really cool job touring with big bands. You fall in love with the tour bus driver, (laughs) manager guy. And then he gets divorced. You move to Tennessee, like outside of Nashville. To Antioch, is that right?
1: Antioch, very
0: good. Okay. Um, you move into uh, to a trailer park. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say mobile home. Yeah. <laughs> but then you move trailer to park. a cabin, then you move to a cabin. <laughs> um, but anyway, you like have this whirlwind sort of career that including, you know, international, etc. And then you are like, I see a future with the sky, I'm willing to give it all up, blah, blah, blah. You end up with Zach, your son, in mm-hmm. um, not the boondocks but an hour outside of Nashville yeah yeah
1: pretty (laughs) boondocky
0: and tell me about the I used to live in New York I live in Wisconsin now
1: oh okay you know well yeah
0: well so many yeah so many people have a sort of like I'm doing this now but I would give it up for this reason and then you get to the other place and you have you know obviously it's different can you talk about how it was different once you arrived and it set in
1: Well, you know, especially coming off of the road where it's like being on The Bachelor, you know, you're in hotels and you have per diem and your room service and it's all really romantic and sexy and in different city every day. And so I have to
0: wash the sheets.
1: Oh, my God. Right. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do your own laundry. You know, you send it out. So we had never been you know, we never wiped a kitchen countertop after a meal or done the dishes, you know. So the first thing was really the shock of the domestic union of me and my, um, you know, road lover. And, and so that was a real difference. And then just, of course, the people and the slower pace and everything about it just didn't fit quite like I expected it to. And and then, of course, then he went back on the road. So then he got to do the other cool tours that I really had wanted to do, you know, the Eagles and the Rolling Stones and all these really cool bands. And I stayed home barefoot and pregnant in the boondocks, which was not a good idea.
0: Eventually you meet somebody else, you, this is also, it's like so long story short, but you meet somebody else. Okay. And you get a divorce. The book
1: isn't that long. I mean, really yes. it's less than 300 pages. Of promise. I know, but it's I'm not- saying the
0: journey, the journey of it, it's just like, okay. Right. And then, yeah, you move back to, um, Chicago. Right. Um, so in closer to family in- with
1: my three-year-old and a hundred bucks.
0: Yes. And then eventually in with your mother when that guy doesn't work out yeah and then uh, we end in california with mark is that where you are now
1: actually i'm in new mexico with mark
0: wow okay new mexico with mark do you feel like this would be um do you think you'll move again
1: no no okay. no okay. we bought this house together got it
0: okay <laughs> so this story sort of ends with we mark and i bought a house in new mexico
1: right right and how old right. is Zach now he's gonna be 30
0: I'm 30. I'm wow.
1: So you're Zach's age. I'm oh, that's Zach's so cool. Age. You're Zach. Wow. Age. Yeah.
0: Wow. And yes. has he read the book?
1: Uh, I think he's read parts of it. I think he skips over chunks of it that he's like, no, Yes, mom.
0: I know which. Chunk. But,
1: but he has definitely read pieces of it and he was very supportive of it. Um, As was, as was my sister and my mom, you know, when I first, wrote the book, started writing the book um, seven or eight years ago. It was not long after my dad's death. And my mom was not happy about the idea of me writing about the family, uh, especially her and her story. And my sister, who comes out in the book, she was supportive of mom. So um, it took me writing it. And and having a lot of support in the writer community, which is the best community in the world, I think, Um, and then letting them read it. And and they actually understood me better than they ever had before. And that was the that was the real best gift of this for me.
0: And I wanted to I have two highlights I definitely want to make sure I bring up. One is from your epilogue, I think, where you say that uh, to your dad, this is how you end, um, the gratitude section at the end. You say you may not have agreed with all of it, but I know you would be so proud that I wrote it.
1: Yeah.
0: Can you say more about that?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that my father, you know, he was, he was, uh, very, he didn't give praise quickly or easily, but he loved my writing and he always was sort of one of my red pen people. If I did an essay or when I would do website copy for my website, I'd run it by dad, you know, and, and he, we could argue over where the comma really goes, but he, he was always really proud of me as a writer. So that, that to me was um, one of the gifts he left behind for me, but I also know that in his inability to see his own, own flaws and to admit when he was wrong that he would not have agreed with some of of how i experienced our
0: relationship Mm -hmm. do you think um how was his presence there when you were writing it
1: in 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 my
0: space yeah like in the seven years yeah
1: i had tons of pictures at different life stages and i would You know, put them up on a board and I had his ashes. I have like this whole little thing. I have a little wizard he gave me that's still on my desk, and I have all my little juju (laughs) writing stuff, but I would say mostly pictures. And I read, I kept all the emails he ever sent me. So I would read through those and get a sense of his voice. Uh, But yeah, I felt him all the way through. I have a a clock. He was a, a clock aficionado and, uh, it would buzz at certain times. And I'd be like, be quiet, dad. Come on. I'm thinking. (laughs) So yes, he was with me very much. So
0: for someone with whom you had such a fraught relationship at times, you seem to hold a lot of reverence for him still.
1: I do. I do. And I think that that is, um, in part because I really came to truly and completely understand and forgive and accept him in ways that I didn't, uh, towards the last couple years of his life, particularly, um, there is a little time jump, so we don't really see that as much. Uh, we'll see it in my next book, but, um, I think that, that for the reader, I, there was a lot of, of love in the last year or two of his life between us and, um, I, I'm really grateful for that. Um, it really helped me when I was writing the story to know that we didn't have anything on, finished when he passed.
0: Do you feel like your work, when you're becoming a life coach and sort of doing a lot of really intense reflective work on your own life, do you think that your work on your own relationship to men, like dating wise, corresponded with your forgiveness of your father?
1: That's an excellent question. I I feel as if um, my work becoming a coach was the most profound healing I could have done. And it did help me see my own blind spots for sure. Um, And I also feel like at the same time, Mark was always in the background, just not available. So I sort of settled for the Pergo version of the Cherrywood until it was no longer on back order. And I allowed the, the sort of facsimile, you know, with just the right amount of wine and just the right light, it can pass for what I really, really wanted. And, and in the end, um, it was Mark.
0: Do you, when you're writing the history with different people you dated, do you, did you know the pattern or did it become clearer to you as you wrote out the story?
1: Um, by the time I was writing it, I know. I knew the pattern. I knew. The, <laughs> the- <laughs> the the, the The exhale,
0: (laughs) the fast exhale.
1: Oh my, oh my, oh my. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw the train wrecks and eventually, you know, I could see the hole before I fell in and I'd walk around it or I would just jump knowing it was just like splat at the, and, and really, you know, it's, 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 it's very condensed when you read it in a book, but when you're living it over 20, you know, a long period of time, it doesn't you, you forget like childbirth, you forget how painful it was, and you go ahead and do it again anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have another child? I don't. Okay. Okay. I was going to say <laughs>
1: that, it, <laughs> that it
0: sounded like there's like another, like a
1: lot of people do, but right, no, not me. I, Yeah. one was, one was plenty. One was plenty because that was really hard for me too, you know, motherhood, because I had such a, a career that I wanted it to be big and, and I wanted to go and see and do and be, and I felt like motherhood, uh, represented a certain limit to all of that. And 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 it it proved to be, uh, you know, one of my my greatest achievements is raising my son. And yet, at the same time, I was not always cut out to be a mother first. I always really tried to to be a woman first, and that wasn't always popular,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially what? with my son, my mother.
0: Yeah, I mean, what is that? Um, what is that tension? like what, my question is there are all these limitations sort of on you whether whatever choices you made to get to a place where you were a mother and had those demands you were in these limited job markets like smaller cities where you couldn't do the thing you were doing in San Francisco mm-hmm. um, Do you feel like it? and then I, I feel like you've really bloomed or like by the end of the book you're you're blooming in in sort of each area. do you feel that, how much of it was your own limitations versus the material limitations of your situation?
1: That is uh, another excellent question. I have, um, I think that part of the limitations were external just based on logistical stuff. Uh, And, and what was internal was my a little bit of an imposter syndrome that I carried from, you know, dropping out of high school. Some of it came from, uh, wanting to model being a mother, like my own mother, but not being that same woman and having her so close by, by her having an apartment at the back of my house for the whole raising of my son. It, it was a double-edged sword always because, um, it was wonderful having them have that relationship. And I, I loved how much she helped me with him. And then at the same time, she could scrutinize every single thing I did. Um, So so I think my limitations were really mixed. And at at the same time, I learned a lot about boundaries and also making choices that are, you know, being true to yourself, even if it disappoints someone else. And that's probably the biggest lesson that helped me be all of who I wanted to be.
0: Mm -hmm what has, I assume Zach has dated. Oh yeah. Does it feel, what is it like being on the parent side now?
1: Well, you know, I raised him so openly about everything, you know, for a number of reasons, just my personality first and foremost. And, you know, uh, he, he's had a couple of, of more serious relationships one live in and, um, you know, I watched them, and and I really want him to get it right for himself. And he hasn't had a serious relationship in a few years. He's really really focused on his career, and I think that's smart. I think a lot of the millennial generation um, haven't jumped into serial relationships, living together, let's get married, all of that. Um, and I think it's really good. I love seeing him be happy. So whatever form that takes works for me.
0: How is um, being with Mark uh, different?
1: Than all those other guys? (laughs) Um, Well, first of all, I am more myself with him than anyone else. I mean, we started a friendship. It'll be 40 years this year. And so that, in and of itself, is a foundation for any romantic relationship. I highly recommend it, and it's interesting because it mirrors my parents' foundation for their marriage as well. Um, and so I learned uh, the importance of friendship in relationship by watching them, and I think that's the bottom line. He and I also have a tremendous amount of independence and freedom within our relationship to create and, and do really exciting things together and separately that put our art and ourselves into the world. And I think all couples can benefit from that. And in other relationships, it was all about being together. And, and, you know, uh, there was a lot more settling, I think, and, and conforming to be what and how this other person expects you to be.
0: What, um, Oh, this is, I wanted to ask you this. Do you feel like you were, um, the sense I get reading it, it's like, I wish we did these courses X years earlier, you know, Mm -hmm. so we can get, or maybe we could have like got with Mark when he was single before you left San Fran (laughs) or like something. (laughs) Do you think that if that had been there that you would have done it? Or do you think you had to be where you were for it to land?
1: We had to be where we were to have it land. We've talked about this a lot. We would not necessarily have been good partners to raise children. He had a daughter with his ex-wife and they, you know, raised her with horses and, you know, a lot of nature and all of that was spectacular for her, where I had raised more of a city kid. And, um, and in some ways I was grateful to have, to raise him by myself, it was really hard, but I didn't have to share the decision-making pieces. And I don't know that we would have agreed. So we, we really, you know, finding love at 50 and beyond for us, we were really fully formed who we're going to be and the acceptance and the love we have for each other grew through all of our challenges, but we didn't have to go through them side by side and possibly have that fracture our relationship.
0: Um, Are you okay if I ask a question about your mother or would you rather us not? No,
1: that's fine, that's fine.
0: Um, You mentioned that your mother passed away a week ago. She did. Um, What is your relationship with your parents now? And do you imagine them having breakfast? Well,
1: my mom passed away at um, around quarter to midnight on May 1st, which was the anniversary of her mother's death. And it was um, my father passed away on May 2nd. And so what's really interesting is that when we were all together gathered at his bedside, which is in the book, um, she gently said to him, don't you dare pass away on my mother's anniversary Ron." And uh, so he didn't. Uh, He waited a couple more hours until it was (laughs) May 2nd. And when it was her turn, (laughs) uh, she did. She it was just about the exact same time she had said that to my dad. So um, so she and, and because of the timing and, and the nurses coming in and all of that, the actual official date is May second. So they actually died on the same day. So they are having coffee, chatting up in heaven, and um, Graham's probably there too.
0: Imagine. He had and you the can coffee.
1: edit it however you want. I'm sorry, but what an amazing coincidence! But not, you know.
0: Yeah, I imagine he had the coffee ready when she got there.
1: No kidding, no kidding. I mean he absolutely had the coffee ready for her. He adored her and they had brunch every Friday. Uh, Even once he had a, a life partner, he joined. In fact, um, Benny came to see my mom a few weeks ago, drove from Ohio to come see her. Um, and so, yeah, it's a beautiful love story, my parents. And that's part of why I wrote the book, because I think that, you know, um, families come in all different shapes and sizes. And I think that, you know, people look at this fight for LGBTQ people and families to come together and, and have children. And I wondered what would my life be if my father had just started out with another man and had children and, you know, that that would have been okay when we were born, you know? So I think it's important that we see how far we've come. Because I don't think everybody realizes uh, we've come a really long way from how it used to be 50 years ago, but at the same time, we still have far to go in terms of um, not just acceptance, but support for families because love is love.
0: I can't think of a better place to end than there. The book uh, Ashes to Ink is linked in the episode description. Can you tell us a little bit about Live True before we go?
1: Live True is a radio show that I do here in Las Cruces. It's a public radio show in New Mexico, and uh, I love interviewing people about how they can live true to themselves by creating uh, something meaningful in the world. And I talk with a lot of uh, authors and podcasters and artists and entrepreneurs and Uh, You can find information and all the episodes are available through my website at lisaluca.com.
0: Great. And I'll link that in the episode description as well. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. It's really been a pleasure, Dan.